Thank you, Bill. Have you ever been mistreated? Ever done something or not done anything, but have suffered the effects of someone else's behavior? How do we respond when that happens? Do we strive to get even or do we patiently wait on God? This morning we find David in a similar situation. Now you might remember the story, we're walking through the story together. Saul, the king, is on the hunt for him, trying to kill him. And David responds by trusting God, by allowing God to call the shots along the way. Now this morning we're going to be looking at three chapters in the Bible, kind of surveying three chapters, uh, walking through the story. But let me invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 22. I'm not going to read every word this morning, but I'm going to kind of highlight the story and we're going to walk through and land uh, in chapter 24 and really spend some time in there this morning. As we open chapter 22, you might remember that David in chapter 21 was on the run. Uh, He was among the Philistines, and you might remember he was acting like an insane man. And then he leaves that place, Gath, in the land of the Philistines. In chapter 22, verse 1, we read, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Now, how many people does David have with him? About 400 here. And some are followers. Some of the followers are his family. Others are in distress. Some in debt. Others just discontented. Sounds like a fun bunch, doesn't it? It also sounds a lot like the people that Jesus hung out with, doesn't it? I'll not read every word here, but you'll find in verse 5 that David makes an arrangement for his family in Moab. And then he leaves his family and he heads to the forest. Now, as we continue to read, we find Saul going to the place where we found David last week, where David had retreated. Remember that? This guy named Doag the Edomite was Saul's spy in the midst. He was one of Saul's officials, and he saw everything that had happened. Saul is informed that the priest, again, this is last week's story, gave David bread and Goliath's sword. And so Saul goes to the priest. He's angry. Look at verse 17 of chapter 22. Then the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priest of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were unwilling to raise a hand to strike the priest of the Lord. I mean, they're the priests. They don't want to kill the priest. And look at verse 18. Then the king turned to Doag. You turn and strike down the priest. So Doag the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put to to the sword, or put, I'm sorry, I lost my place. He, okay, I got to go back. He also put to the sword Nob, the town of priests, with its men and women, its children and infants, and its cattle, donkey, and sheep. It's a tragic thing that happens there, isn't it? And David feels somewhat responsible because David had lied to them. You remember the story? David told them that he was on a mission for Saul and they gave him bread. And now this whole town is murdered because of David's actions. And David is feeling the weight of it all. Again, God is molding David. God is using this circumstance to tune his heart. Let's keep going in the story. Flip over to chapter 23 with me. David hears that Keilah, this town, is being attacked by the Philistines, and he asks God if he should go and fight them. Now, I find that extremely interesting, don't you? 
David, again, suffered the tragedy of watching this town of Nob um, being killed. And now, David's not too sure of himself, right? So he asks God about every move. Should I go? Should I go there? And, and again, this whole deal with the priest being killed, I think, really impacts David. And he is ready to go wherever God wants him to go, not where he thinks he should go. And God tells him he should go and fight and protect the town, down in verse 5 of chapter 23. So David and his men went to Keilah, fought the Philistines, and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Keilah. Saul then gets word that David is there. He plans to attack Keilah to take David out. Should or David then inquires of God of what he should do, and God lets him know you need to leave town because it's not safe for you to be there. And we also notice here in, in verse 13 of chapter 23 that David has a few more men. So David and his men, about how many now? 600 in number, left Keilah and kept moving from place to place. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he did not go there. Now in verse 14, we get a good description of David's life at this point in time. Look at what it says. David stayed in the wilderness, strongholds, and in the hills in the, of the desert of Nif. Day after day, Saul searched for him. But God did not give David into his hands. Now we know the backstory here, don't we? We know that Saul is jealous of David. We at the same time know that David has been anointed by God to be king. But now David is on the run for his life. And he's done nothing wrong. But Saul is out to kill him. In fact, one town actually goes to Saul, makes a deal with Saul. They tell him that they'll map out David's hiding places and hand him over. However, in this case, Jonathan, Saul's son, David's friend, remember that story, comes to David's aid. So over and over we have God protecting David, God shielding David again and again. And at the end of chapter 23, we find Saul on one side of a mountain and David just on the other side. But before Saul can get to him, the Philistines are attacking and Saul has to leave. It's during this season of time that David is learning to trust in God. We read David's Psalms and we've read several Psalms this morning already. If you look in your bulletin, you'll see a list of psalms there. Uh, Carolyn's put those in the bulletin for you to take home. And this is your homework this week. You can go home and read these psalms. I've been reading over them the past few weeks. Uh, again, they're listed in your bulletin. And all of these psalms were written during this period of time when David is running for his life. Having to trust God because every day he doesn't know whether or not he's going to make it through the day. I want to read just a few of these verses for you this morning. This is Psalm chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me, and, or they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. To hear his words, isn't that great how we have the Psalms? We not only have the history of what's happening here, but we have David's prayers to God. We can read his prayers. And we may feel in many, at many times like those are our prayers to God. Psalm chapter 59, verses 1 and 2 says, Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Be my fortress against those who are attacking me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me for the, from those who are after my blood. And then listen at how many of these psalms close. Psalm 7 concludes this way. I'll give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I'll sing the praises of the name of the Lord most high and then in psalm chapter 59 verse 16 and 17 but i'll sing of your strength in the morning 
I'll sing of your love, for you are my fortress. He's talking to God here. My refuge in times of trouble. You are my strength. I sing praises to you, God, my fortress, my God, on whom I can rely. We've all been in times like that, haven't we? When we call out to God. And we need God to show up. We need God to do something. We need God to deliver us. And these psalms give us a glimpse into David's heart. When the pressure is on, he turns to God. Now we could dig into all these psalms together today, but this would take the rest of our time together. And I want to get to the kind of the heart of today's story. At the very end of chapter 23, we're set up for the next story. Look at verse 29 of chapter 23 with me. And David went up from there... And lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. Now, En Gedi is this oasis in Israel. It's in the middle of a desert and it has a spring. And Saul finds out that David is there, and like in chapters 22 and 23, he decides to head there to kill David. Again, Saul is on a hunt. He is all about taking David out. And he's traveling all over to try to find David, to try to kill David. Look at chapter 24, verse 1. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Now remember, how many men does David have at this point? 600, right? How many does Saul have? 3,000, right? The next scene is worth spending some time here. Uh, let's talk about this. God is in the middle of all that is happening here. So David and his men are in a cave. And Saul just happens, well, not really. God's directing this, isn't he? He just happens to come into that cave to relieve himself. Look at verse 3. He came into the sheep pens, or he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. Now, as David and his men are quietly cheering at this point, right? I mean, here's their chance. They can get rid of Saul. It's their chance to be free from being hunted and chased all day and all night. It's their chance for David now to become king. And, and look at what they say to David in verse 4. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I'll give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. David, this is your chance to take him out. God has provided this opportunity for you. Now the tricky part here is about how you discern God's will, right? Sometimes God might give us an opportunity and we think, this is it, right? I'm going to take it. God has provided this. What more vulnerable position would Saul have been in than using the bathroom, right? That's, that's the time to take him out. Sometimes it seems that God has, as we often say, opened the door for us. And David has his chance. But David doesn't see it that way. Now, we have to remember that David is described as a man after God's own heart, right? David has a heart for God. And he knows this is not God's movement. He knows that Saul is the king and he doesn't have the right to kill the king. David does take advantage of the situation. Now look at what happens in verse 4. David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. But David immediately feels guilty when he does that. Afterwards it says, David was conscious stricken for cutting off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him. 
for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Now, look at how David views Saul. He calls him the Lord's anointed, right? Now, David could have said, you know, I'm the anointed, right? God anointed me to be king. And Saul is not supposed to be king, even though he's acting in this position of king. David doesn't see it that way. David says, God's hand is still on Saul. He's still the king. And, it's, and God's going to have to provide for this. I'm not going to take this into my own hands. I'm not sure I would have done the same thing, right? I think if I were hunted like David, I may have taken advantage of the situation. I mean, think about David and his men for a minute. They have to wake up each day wondering if it will be their last. They've got to be sick and tired of this sort of life, going from place to place. Now is their chance to end it. But David does not take what is not his. He waits patiently on God to work, on God to move, on God to provide. So David follows Saul out of the cave. And look at what happens next, verse 8. Then David went out of the cave and called to Saul, My lord the king! When Saul looked, looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. David refers to Saul how? My lord the king. He bows down. Again, Saul certainly doesn't deserve this sort of treatment. Right? He's been trying to kill David. But David, a man after God's own heart, is responding in submission and humility because he's ultimately submitted to God. He knows that he must let God take the lead. He's already discovered that things don't work out well when he takes matters into his own hands. Back to the story here. David uses this instance to proclaim his innocence. Look at verse 9. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said I'll not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. David tells Saul, look, I, I could have taken you out. I could have killed you, but I'm not after your life, Saul. He continues in verse 11. See my father. Look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut, I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I'm guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I, I've not wronged you, wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evil doers come evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you. He refers to Saul as his father. He calls on God to be the judge, for God to avenge. I love David's posture here. It is the appropriate posture for you and me as followers of God as we face evil in our world. It's consistent with Jesus' posture. We must give injustice over to God. We must allow God to fight for us. David continues, and I'll read all of this so we can get the full picture here. Verse 14. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing, a dead dog, a flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. Now, certainly David doesn't want to die. Certainly David understands that Saul's actions are unjust. He wants to be delivered, but he's trusting that God will be the one to do it. 
Look at Saul's response in verse 16. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You see, Saul knows that David is truly the anointed, doesn't he? He knows that David is in the right here. Look at verse verse 17. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you didn't kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you have treated me today. I know that you will surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. See, Saul knows how this is going to turn out, doesn't he? He begs David to spare his descendants. Now, in the ancient Middle East, when a king comes to power, the king would often kill off the old king's family, right? It would kind of set up um, a way for him to protect his throne. But David vows he will not follow this convention with Saul's family. Verse 22, so David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up. To the stronghold. Now, David and Saul are not buddies at this point, right? It's not like they kissed and made up and went back to the palace together. That's not what happened. David is still on the run. Saul still is trying to kill him, even after all of this. So David returns to a place of safety. He knows that Saul is not stable. At the same time, this oath is important here. David is going to, to, to fulfill his vow to Saul in time. Even when he becomes king, he will not do what most kings did in that day and time. Man, what a story, right? Now, we're moving fast through the story this morning. I wish we had more time to dig into it together. But this does give us a sense of what David is going through at this point in his life. On the one hand, he's being hunted, right? He's, he's running for his life. He's done nothing wrong, but he's suffering every day because of Saul's jealousy and pride. You see, David models for us what it means to be mistreated, to be misunderstood, be persecuted and even when he has the chance to kill Saul he doesn't do it he steps back and he lets God what does that mean for us today for many of us we are tempted to move quickly right to figure out things on our own but David knows it doesn't work like that he's determined to let God lead to let God call the shots And maybe this morning God would be challenging some of us to take on this sort of posture in our world today. Maybe you're in a difficult situation and maybe God would be saying to you, let God take care of this. Sit back, let God make the next move. Maybe God would be saying to you this morning, I need you to trust me in whatever your situation is. Would we be willing to submit ourselves to God? Would we be willing to allow God to take care of things would we be willing to take on the posture of David would you pray with me God we thank you for the story this morning a story that reminds us that you truly are the one who provides that you are our Lord that you are our king that you will lead us where we need to go God help us to be humble help us to take on a humble posture help us to trust you in all things We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.